I want to jump into God's Word, into the Bible, um, particularly in Isaiah. Uh, I want to look at three chapters, and there's a danger, I think, in taking big sections of Scripture in that there's, uh, it's like an airplane just barely touching the runway and, and going off. You're not really going as deep, but I really wanted to hit these three because these are three chapters that have been stirring me a lot over this crazy life and this crazy world that we're in right now. And so let me start. I'm going to read um, just chapter 59. Verses 14 all the way through chapter 60, verses 4. Uh, so I want to read all three chapters, and I, but I want to get to these part because I think this captures a lot of where we're going today. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open to Isaiah 59, 58, 59, 60, we'll read God's Word. Starting with verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far off. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on a breastplate as a he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak according to their deeds so he will repay wrath to his adversaries repayment to his enemies to the coastlands he will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. And a, redeeming, er, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who, who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, or out of the mouth of your offspring, or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will rise up, rise upon you, and his glory be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love that last line, your daughters shall be carried on the hip, just seeing Amy with a baby on her hip and several other moms with babies on their hip here. Um, glad you're here. Um, it, it's, it's just, the world is crazy right now, isn't it? I mean, how many of you just wake up every morning going, what is happening? I mean, I've seen all the memes, you know, what chapter of Revelation are we in today? I've seen all of the crazy um, news articles, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean... My, my social media, at least, the, the timeline there is, I mean, it's anti-this, and it's pro-that, and 
of course, everybody in that is making you pick a side. Which one are you on? Are you the anti? Or are you the pro? Are you, um, what, 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 what are, where are you with the presidential race or racism or COVID-19? I mean, we're in this economic downturn. It really feels like the world's gone crazy. And in the midst of all of this is Christians. It's, um, it's, it's still crazy for Christians. It's not like there's the crazy world and then there's Christians as a bomb in the social media cesspool, <laughs> right? It's not like that. It's actually, you look and you're like, okay, I'm starting to think Christians are going crazy. Does anybody feel that way? Um, maybe you're smiling on your mask. I'm just going to assume you are. Uh, all right? Y- you have to pick a side. Everybody's saying you must pick a side. You must have a... Oh, it's, it's almost like you're saying you must have a religion beyond the, being a disciple of Jesus. You have to have something else you really stand for. It's hard to know what's real and what's hypocrisy. How, uh, and even how Jesus is asking us to live amongst all of this. How he wants us to follow him. How does he want us to live amongst all of the shouting. We have to choose, right? Well, speaking personally as a, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, city leader, I've wondered what does Jesus' church look like with this kind of backdrop? What are we actually supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to feel? What are we supposed to say? It's different today than it was even 10 years ago. And so today, I want to look at a people who I think, and I see, and uh, we know, have lives that were marked by hypocrisy, marked by fake religion, unsettled lives, political unrest. And I want to see if there's something that we can apply to our lives, to 2020 today. Um, it's as if, as if Isaiah was speaking directly to us. And so I think there is something there. So in the book of Isaiah, just to give us a little backdrop, um, God's people, Israel, they were just dragged through this insane mess of an invasion from uh, Assyria. Their lives were unruly. Uh, There was lots of religious people, people who were engaging in religious practices like fasting and, and such like that. But uh, really, all of that just wasn't, it, there was no heart change in it. And in the middle of this kind of backdrop, God is offering a, a heavenly vision. I'll say a divine vision, something that's different, that's marked by grace and joy and freedom and peace in their lives. And, and they are, um, the people are starting to make their way back to God. You start seeing a people who are changing, and, and in the midst of all this, they're making their way back to God. They're finding Him again. They're starting to change their lives um, in repentance. But let me underline this. The question that Isaiah is really digging in, is this real or is this fake? Is there a unique sort of, uh, a unique set-apartness that God's people are experiencing in the midst of all this? Or are people just becoming fake religious people or assimilating to the craziness that the culture has? 
So the transformation they're experiencing is not just generic. There's, there's, this, there's no more fake religion. Or they're trying to juke God. I, Isaiah doesn't want them to go there. Um, but John Calvin, as he is commenting on this, um, in his, his commentary, he says, The prophet Isaiah shows what God demands from us as soon as he holds out tokens of his favor or promises that he will be ready to, to be reconciled to us, that our reconciliation may be secured. He demands from us such a conversion as shall change our minds and hearts, that they may forsake the world and rise toward heaven. And next, he likewise calls for the fruits of repentance. So, I know jumping, again, I know jumping in the middle of a big, huge book, it's really hard to get the context. It's really hard to get the full picture of what's going on. But, let me try to give you a bit. Isaiah has been calling out Israel for 50 two chapters. He's been calling them out, calling them to repentance as a prophet would do, calling God's people back to God, uh, and, and for all, th- all throughout the whole entire book. But they, they've left that world. So they did repent. They did turn back to God. They left that, the world, in a worldly sense, and they make their way back to God. Then Isaiah chapter 54, all the way to the end of the book, we see that God's people, Israel, they're transforming from now these fake religious hypocrites um, to a people who are truly seeking God and the good of the nation. And that transformation is happening, and it's happening very slowly. Um, But as Calvin states, this transformation, this is a conversion, as shall change our minds and our hearts. And to use uh, maybe a modern word, what is happening is that Israel, God's people, they're starting to actually now experience a revival. So a real transformation is starting to happen in their lives. See, many of us are not actually that familiar with authentic Christianity. We are familiar with, I'm using, I'm using some of these terms loosely, religious Christianity. You know, we were familiar with the duties. Go to church, maybe do Sunday school, maybe even read your Bible, um, have a discussion about Jesus, you know, listen to Christian radio or something like that. That's kind of our version or vision of what we should think of Christianity. But... Um, we're not very familiar with authentic Christianity. But I imagine you're here, I mean, you've, you've come through and you're here even during a pandemic to know what authentic Christianity looks like. You're not here for the political version or uh, the, so, the media's version of what Christianity is. And the beauty is that Isaiah gives us the real stuff. And these chapters show us a beautiful summary and through Isaiah, or even though Isaiah was written before Jesus, it's really actually about Jesus. He's constantly pointing to a future hope, a future um, promise, a future covenant that is through Jesus. But it's also in how we ought to live in light of Jesus. So it's practical for us. So there's two summary points that I want to make. Two summary points out of these three chapters that I want to make today. The first is to see what true revival people look like. We'll see what Isaiah sees as he sees a better vision of of people when they fast and pray and take a day of rest and even some soul satisfaction here. The second point is what revival future 
looks like. Isaiah does this amazing thing as he applies this really practical truth for us today. At the same time, he's telling us, it's only going to get better. Our future is only going to get better. We feel like it's all falling apart. All is lost. Christianity is muddled and mucked and ruined. It's not all lost. Just wait. So let's dig into this. Because, um, I, I mean, I, again, I really think we need this. We need this in our world today. So starting with chapter 58, verse 1, what God is doing in this chapter is showing us true religion from false religion. And again, remember, Isaiah is trying to help them discern this because they are in this space of false religion, fake, um, fake religion here. Again, it isn't worshiping idols. It isn't worshiping idols um, like statues, blocks of wood, iron, um, that people were tempted towards in earlier in Isaiah's writing. God is addressing people a lot more like you and I today who identify with the Lord, who would call themselves followers of God, but it's much more cultural than revival. See, when I first became a Christian, I really struggled to understand true Christianity. I really wrestled a lot with what is true, what is not. I remember a situation. I was 17 years old, just became a Christian, and I'm a a young man with raging hormones, and I was so satisfied by a friend who told me um, very convincingly that, no, it's fine. You can have sex with your girlfriend. It doesn't matter. It's all fine. And I'm thinking, oh boy, okay, okay. That sounds good. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't think about it that much. I didn't study. Um, And so I had this choice, real religion or false religion. You know, you, you, you you all are faced with these choices day in and day out. True Christianity, fake Christianity, virtue or vice. What's holy, what is the Bible calling for, both in explicit statements or implicit design from wisdom, We have to read, we have to study, we have to do some work to discern. And so Isaiah is starting to draw some of those out and saying there's a difference between some of this fake stuff and some of this real stuff. And what do we do? What do I do? I mean, we face this often. So I get to college. I pick up this book that you all should read called Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. And I read that and my world is turned upside down because there's this um, whole book that's really talking about the difference between true religion, true Christianity, and false Christianity. I mean, the intro of the book, just right there, he asks, how do we know what true religion is? True Christianity is from fake. But Edwards makes the argument that true Christianity is marked by what he calls the outward affections of the heart, visible signs of the inner reality, a deep transformation of our souls. It's exactly what Isaiah is trying to drive home in, in, the, in chapter 58. He's really trying to show us what is happening in them. He's trying to show them, there's, is there something going on in your soul? So starting in verse 3, we see Isaiah addressing fasting. So he starts with that example of fasting. There is this practice in Christianity uh, of fasting, and it starts all the way back in the beginning, um, that God's people would abstain from eating food as a sign, as a way of seeking the Lord. Fasting is supposed to be an outward sign of an inward reality, and that inward reality is something like we 
are a people so hungry for you, God. We long for you like our bodies long for food. That's the heart of fasting. I mean, fasting was done individually. Fasting was done corporately. But what Isaiah is seeing as he looks at the people of God is he's seeing these are people who aren't fasting from that inward reality. But they're fasting to try to impress God, try to impress other people. I mean, he sees that their heart is clearly not in it. They're trying to be spiritually acceptable because they don't eat. They try to show, I'm holy because I'm not eating. I'm practicing this. And they made sure everyone around them knew. All the people made sure everybody knew, I'm fasting. So they're hanging out on the street, and they just drop that subtle line, man, I'm really hungry. So the guy's like, well, you you want some bread? You You want to eat? No, that's cool. I'm fasting. Me and God, you know... I'm kind of holy. You know, they kind of have this mindset and this, this, this way about them of they want to show off how spiritual they actually are, but it was not from the heart at all. So, Isaiah calls them out on that. He calls them to what true uh, fasting looks like. Again, he's going to the heart, saying oh, this is a demonstration of an inward reality. It makes me think of Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Um, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For them, there's, they're not going to the mouth of God. They're just stopped eating so that they look spiritual. And Isaiah really uses these examples, and he goes on. He uses other examples. I won't get into all of the examples that Isaiah gives, because underneath each example is the same call for true Christianity that we're at. The same calls these acts of faith. He calls out their prayer in verse 4, their happiness, or their well-watered garden in verse 11, and even their Sabbath. That's taking a day off in in verse 13. All of those were being practiced by the people to gain God, not because of God's work in them, but to gain Him. And Isaiah saw that God wanted more for the people. He wanted more for them just to be doing some of these religious things, more than duty, but a true communion with God, a true relationship with God. So that's what chapter 58 is. And part of 59. So as we keep moving through this text, there's a connection with how God is dealing with his people and how he is going to fulfill his promises for a better future. What does God do in the midst of this? As people's hearts are being changed. Remember their backdrop, same, similar to ours. It's uncertain, much like we see in our own culture. It's in turmoil. It's a mess. So look at chapter 59. Verse 21, a verse that we read. Look at how it ends. If you're, if you're a literature person, uh, you notice that there's a lot of poetry. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 21, it turns from poetry to prose. As if he's saying, look, okay, okay. I kind of showed you all this through poet, poetic statement, the well-watered garden and fasting and such. Let me just shoot you straight. He says, as for me, 
This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So our world is a mess right now, but God is declaring here that our future is not a mess. He is declaring... You have lots of this fake religion, but I'm going to make it right. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make a covenant with you that it's going to be good. Pastor Ray Orland Jr. comments on this passage saying, God will not accept defeat because his love is not a favorable mood swing. In this verse, the pronouns are important. I'm not super great with uh, English literature. Uh, my wife is really great with this, but I, I love getting into a lot of, of the, some, some of the language and what's going on. So in, in this verse, the pronouns are really important to showing us God's future. So let me dig in a little bit. So hang with me. As for me, this is my covenant with them. So that them right there, the them is the revival people that we just talked about. So God wants to, he's reminding them of his covenant with the people of God. With even, even in their failure and their frustration and all that they're trying to navigate, God is reminding them of the covenant that he is making with them. The revival people, people who have undergone this true transformation of spirit that we just talked about. But the second says the Lord's statement. There's two says the Lord's statement. That's the first one. God's covenant with us, humanity, or or Christians here. Now the second one states, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth, there's something different about the you and the your there. Who is the you? Who is the your here? Now, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but... If you dig in and study this passage uh, and listen to some scholars here, there's a second person pronoun uh, that these all have a gender. So there's masculine and there's feminine. The second person pronoun, you and your here, is masculine which wouldn't mean they're talking about the people of God, but he's actually talking about somebody specific. Who is he talking about? Well, there's a lot of mystery here. I hope you're still with me. I know it's a little confusing, but there's a little mystery here for sure. But several scholars have pointed out that this, this person that God is talking about here is where the future blessing lies. God is making their future blessing through this one person, through this. And it's how the God, God the Father is making his pledge to his son right here. It is God promising a future for us, not based on our behavior and our commitment, but on the Father's promise to the Son, future Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. And if this is true, if it's true God is telling us, We today, as followers of Jesus Christ, are not called to be just a religious sign. We are a covenant. 
But we are, we are to be in Jesus. We, are to pos- we who possess the Spirit and the Word because we possess Jesus. Do you see how verse 50, or chapter 59, verse 21, ties all this together between a people who are broken and trying to find their way back to God and a future hope? He's saying this is the pivotal verse. This is the verse that, that hinges these worlds together. It's the gap filled between a life of sin and brokenness and false religion and a future light and hope. And so Isaiah moves into the, this next hopeful scene in chapter 60, where he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Even, even uh, in darkness, even in darkness here, light will come. And look where, where God's glory can be seen from. Look where the glory, look where the light shines out of. Verse 2 says that the glory will be seen upon you. And nations will come to see your light. This you now is you. It's not referring to Jesus. It's referring to you. This you is you. God's people as the true light A revived and transformed people means a revived and transformed future of light. Isn't this what our world needs today? With this backdrop that we all live in of racism, mask fighting, political conspiracy, physical distancing, our world needs a contrast. Our world needs to see a contrast. And Isaiah is saying the contrast is not just in your public fasting, in your public taking a day off. It's in your light. It's in your light that comes from Jesus. The rest of chapter 60 goes on about God's light shining through his people, the church. And as Isaiah keeps describing the wonderful future of God's people... Listen to what's at the center of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 15 through 22. He says, The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. goes on. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. God is doing what no other so-called God of this world does. He does what you and I cannot do. He's putting all of the weight, all of the work, all of the hope. He's not putting it in you and saying, you guys got to make it happen. No, he's saying, I'll take it upon myself. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And that's why there's some key words in chapter 60 that are really important to pick up on and why Isaiah uses them. He has no problem with using it. He says, he uses words like forever in verses 15 and verse 21. And from age to age, that again is forever in verse 15. Or no more in verse 18, 19, and 20. Or everlasting in verse 19 through 20. These are big words that you and I can never really use. We can't say these kinds of things. Because this transformation, 
that happens, this light that's going on, is, will, it will last forever because it's what God has done. Why? Because it's what Jesus is doing in us. And as we've looked at what a revival people, a revived people look like and our future, can we just kind of make our way back into the present? God isn't asking you and I to decide if we are voting Democrat or Republican or mask or no mask. Those are good, important things to rest with. He's asking you and I right here if we want to rise above all the noise and shine in a different way than the world is forcing us to. To be a different kind of people than the world is asking us to be. Because Isaiah... He wants you to have authentic Christianity, not an American gospel or a copied gospel that came from a tradition or your, your family or something. He wants it to be at work in your soul. He wants there to be a transformation that happens deep within you. He wants that covenant, that promise of Jesus Christ at work in your very being. See, Jesus became flesh and blood to be the great physician to us and our world. He came to restore, to rescue, to make all things new. That's why he came. He came to fulfill that covenant that Isaiah is talking about right here. And I can't think of a more desperate time than now for us to go and see the great doctor. To go and see the great physician. His life and his death and his resurrection had to happen so we could become one with him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. So let me implore to you as Isaiah implored to God's people in this entire book. Go to the covenant. Go to the place where God makes that covenant, makes that space. Go to the place where you can find true healing. Go to the place that you can find true light. In chapter 60, verse 7, God says this. I would love for you to memorize this verse. Hang it. Hang it in your heart, of course. Hang it somewhere in your house. He says, I will beautify my beautiful house. God wants to give us something. Let's give us salvation, healing, hope, he wants us to be a revived people, a people of light that stand out from a backdrop of hurt and brokenness. Will, will, will we take it or settle for leftovers? Leftover religion, leftover Christianity. Let's just go to Jesus. Let's go to him now. Father, we come before you now 
knowing that you desire to heal, you desire to bring hope, you desire to change and transform us, you desire to revive us, and you desire to do this not by just making us a better people, making us a happier people. You desire to do this through Jesus. And that means unbreakable belovedness. That means hope, shining, light, that is different than anything this world can give, any person can give. So we run to Jesus now, the great physician for healing. God, I pray if those who don't know you have been just masking their life in false Christianity, that today might be a day that you can even pull them out of that and bring them into your covenant. Pray for those who might be listening who've just never even heard much about any kind of authentic Christianity that, God, they would have heard through my mumbling words hope that is in you. We give you glory, Lord, that you've done a great thing. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.